You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. There's a reason a lot of little kids want to grow up to be veterinarians. Animals are easy to love, especially pets. And helping them feel better or stay healthy and seeing and petting lots of them sounds like fun. As with most childhood fantasies, though, the reality is different, especially right now. Over the past few years on this show, we've covered the various shortages in the healthcare system. Burnt out nurses fleeing hospital jobs, family doctors retiring with nobody to take their place, and the impact that those things have on the doctors and nurses who stay because they still love it and pick up the slack because there's nobody else. Well, vets are in the exact same position, except for a couple of notable differences. Healthcare for pets in Canada is expensive, and we're already in an affordability crisis. And there are now fewer vets than there were before the pandemic. But as you may know, there are a lot more pets. So how do you think vets are doing these days? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Lindsay Armstrong is a reporter and editor for the Canadian Press based in Halifax. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. Thanks for finding some time for us. Oh, thank you for having me. I want to ask you just to to talk to you a bit about some of the people you spoke to for this piece. Why don't you start by uh, telling me about Neil Pottier? Who is he? What does he do? Neil Pottier is a veterinarian who has been practicing since 1985 He works in rural Nova Scotia, operating an animal hospital out in Digby. He is someone who's very passionate about the work he does. He cares a great deal about the profession. He loves animals. And he is really just doing his very best to keep this extremely busy, high-traffic rural animal hospital running while many of his colleagues are uh, leaving, suffering major mental health issues and and all of that. So he he actually was the first person I spoke to for the story, and he really set the groundwork and gave me a lot of questions about what's happening, what's caused this. And um, yeah, he's a very passionate veterinarian. In a minute, we'll get to what those vets are suffering and how they're dealing with it and, and the bigger picture. But just when you talk to Neil... How does he say that being a vet has changed over the past few years? For him, having worked since the 80s, he's seen a real sort of gradual transition. And for him, working in a rural area, he has always dealt with the fact that you have to be on call 24-7 to some degree. There's always going to be animals that need emergency care. And as a veterinarian, similar to doctors, you take that on and you don't refuse that work. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of being on call isn't different, but he's getting a lot more calls now as there are fewer and fewer veterinarians who offer on-call service in this sort of rural area. So he now has, you know, animal patients that would drive in two hours to receive care, and he's having to do a lot more of that on-call work. And uh, very recently, within the last eight months, he had colleagues of his, the two veterinarians running the only other animal hospital in sort of an hour or so range of Digby, they, you know, told him they were burnt out and they uh, shut down shop and, and left the professional together. And so he's sort of had this 
additional pressure of just having so many animals that need care and very few people available to provide that care. What do we know about how difficult it is to be a vet right now? Uh, Like why his colleagues would retire, why he's feeling so stressed? Do we have stats on this? Has anybody looked into it? There are some stats, but it's a bit hard to track. In in this reporting, I reached out to every province and territory and various uh, veterinarian medical associations that, that keep track of these things. And some provinces didn't have data. Manitoba, PEI, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick all acknowledged to me that they are, they are experiencing shortages, at least in some areas of veterinary medicine. Something that was interesting out of Ontario was they're actually seeing that the number of working veterinarians has not changed, but the way in which they are working has changed. So people are taking on locum positions or just positions where they have more freedom to control their hours, to not do 24-hour on-call care. The the registrar I spoke to at Ontario said there are much fewer veterinary animal hospital owners, people who are not willing to take on those high responsibilities because the, the work is extremely stressful. What I, what I learned from this is that the main reason across interviews seems to be that people are just absolutely stressed out, burnt out to a point where they don't know if they can keep working in the profession that they love so much. How's their mental health doing? I understand there's a recent study about that. Yes. So their mental health is not, uh, it's not good. There's been, uh, that is a bit old now. It was out of 2020, a study on Canadian veterinarians and the prevalence of uh, suicidal thoughts. And so using that study, contrasting with StatScan data from 2022, you'll find that veterinarians are at least 10 times more likely to think about um, killing themselves than the average Canadian. That seems like an awful lot compared to, you know, what you would consider for that kind of profession. Why, do we know why that is? It is an awful lot. And and why is that is a question I asked in most interviews. And it was very interesting. I, I got a number of different answers. But I I think the most, the one that stood out to me at least, and the one that was the focus of, his name is Andrew Lawson, the president of the Canadian Medical Veterinary Association. He explained that the reality that end-of-life care with pets is such a major part of their work, that really, really is a major weight that veterinarians, vet technicians, vet technologists, everyone involved Obviously, you know, if you've ever lost a pet, you know that it's a, it, a very sad, uh, heartbreaking experience to go through. And they all explain that, you know, watching clients that they've, you know, known for many years have to put down a pet that they have, you know, grown to bond with. So that was something that, you know, seems like a, a pretty major uh, mental weight, of course. And then there are other things like the fact that finances are always a part of the work. One veterinarian explained to me, she said there was nothing more terrible than being in the position of being a veterinarian or a vet technician or the person who works at the, you know, the front desk running the office, having to charge for treatment because you have to, because the cost of supplies, of medication, of all the equipment they use, of paying the rent for their shop, of ensuring that their staff have livable wages, all of those things have to be covered And if someone doesn't have 
pet insurance, maybe this is something they can't afford. And so going through that, having to charge for, you know, what could be a life-saving treatment for your animal, that's really... And watching people struggle with that decision, I imagine. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that, that you know, they're human and they love animals. So these are people right. who, they love animals. That's why they went into it. They want to make, you know, the lives of the animals they care for better. And so all these things make it quite stressful. And something else that that one vet noted that kind of shocked me, but also made a lot of sense to me, is that uh, this is a veterinarian who's been working for about 18 years, she said. And between then and now, people have become a lot more obsessed <laughs> with their animals. And I'm someone who I got a, I adopted a cat from a local uh, cat rescue during the pandemic. So did we. And it's true. I'm obsessed with her. She's my child. Like the way that people have become quite obsessed with their animals, I think that the clients are now maybe putting a bit more pressure on the vets, being a bit more harsh with them when they call, a little bit more worked up because the word pet is kind of changed and we think of our pets like family and we want them to be treated like family. And so I I think that's a component of this too. That's so funny because, like I mentioned, we also got a cat during the pandemic. And the difference is I grew up with lots of cats. We had cats from when I was a small child to when I left my parents' house. And uh, my wife never grew up with a pet in her home. And so she has taken to the cat like uh, like you described, right? Like, oh, my gosh, we have to do it. And to me, like, I love this cat. She's great, but she's also like, she's a cat. I'm used to I'm used to a cat. And it's just like two totally competing, like, both sides love the animal, but in just entirely different ways. And do you know what? That's so funny. I align with your wife in this. I, I had dogs growing up, and I always thought I was a dog person. And I was living in this tiny studio when the pandemic hit, and I obviously couldn't get a dog. And so I had some friends that had cats that I really liked, and so went out and got this cat. And I had just specifically never had a cat before and never really had a pet that was just mine. And so that was a real, I also think being locked inside a studio with that cat working from home messed us up a little bit. Well, let's talk about that too, because I imagine the sheer volume, like we just both admitted we got uh, animals during the pandemic, the sheer volume must have changed the experience for vets too. What do we know about that? Oh, totally. And it was so funny. In my interviews, I, you know, confessed the story and a couple of the vets said, oh no, not you. <laughs> You're one of the hosts. But, but it just completely exploded the number of pet patients. For Dr. Pache, he said he tracked, you know, pre-pandemic to the year post-pandemic and he had a 40% increase in his pet patients and in his region. And I know there are some studies on this. Uh, The Canadian Animal Health Institute said between 2020 and 2022, the dog population grew from 7.7 million to 7.9 million. And for cats, it rose from 8.1 million to 8.5 million. So a pretty dramatic increase there. That's like half a million animals total, uh, just increase. How are those animals, the pandemic animals specifically doing? Maybe not so much for cats who are mostly indoors, but for dogs who need to be trained and socialized and et cetera, I imagine that's an issue too for vets. It certainly is. And and that's something that I've heard anecdotally from, from folks around me who've you know, spent tons of money to get their dogs trained because dogs aren't used to seeing other, other animals, other people because of how they were 
you know, raised as puppies, but it didn't actually come up much with the veterinarians I spoke to. They they were much more impacted by the volume of pets than sort of the, the type of pets. And I mean, also worth noting, these are people who love animals, so they may not be inclined to complain, even if the animals coming in are a bit bit more chaotic than they're used to. You've mentioned a few times that, you know, some people have been leaving the profession, that they're burnt out. Couple that with the increase in the number of actual animals uh, that need to be cared for. Uh, we've done stories, obviously, about this uh, when it comes to family doctors, right? That just the the increasing challenge of finding one, thousands of people clamoring for open spots at clinics. Is it the same for pets? Like, uh, is there a, is there now a vet shortage? Absolutely, absolutely, and that that came up across across the board. Depending on where you live, your odds of getting a vet are, are dramatically different. It is definitely harder in rural areas. I'm told. Quebec actually, in their responses to my questions for their story, said that they are making note of the fact that many residents have complained that they can't get in to see a vet or they don't, or they have to wait a really long time for a vet. And so I, I don't think we're seeing the same extremes as we are in human medicine, but it, it's it's very similar. The issues affecting vets are are so similar and it is becoming harder and harder to to get in to see a vet. Do you know if we're doing anything about that, even province to province or or nationally, or even like at various vet colleges? I know there's all this talk again, because we've covered this in terms of family doctors of like, you know, making it easier or more attractive for people to apply to med school, making changes to residency or, you know, bonuses for going to rural areas. Like, are we doing anything for vets? So this is something that specifically Neil Pottier is is really working on. He has been writing letters to ministers provincially and federally to to try to draw some attention to this. Across the board, quite a few people I spoke to are are recommending more veterinary medicine seats be opened up. There are are not that many universities that that train people to be veterinarians, and, and there are calls for seats to be increased in those areas. But it's not just the veterinarians. There's a real need for vet technicians and vet technologists both of whom are super qualified, super capable, and can take a massive load of stress off the veterinarian. Neil Pache is really doing his best to, to advocate for this across the board. Something that he recently sort of was very successful in was moving towards a collaborative on-call program among a number of rural veterinarians in his part of Nova Scotia so that there can be some break time and not every vet has to be on call to try to split up that burden just to improve the the sort of quality of life for these folks in the interim. But really, we need to be training and educating more vet techs of all kinds and, and more veterinarians and just doing what we can to make the work more manageable. What do vets say the risk is of people with pets not having access to a vet? I mean, obviously, yes, the risk is uh, poor health to the pets, but there's there's a risk beyond that, right, of general, like, poor health in an animal population. Certainly. And I mean, I, I I imagine it would be so similar to to with health if you don't have regular access to care to sort of check you up in the interim. Perhaps your first visit is when things are really extreme and you're not catching things early. The vets I spoke to, they, you know, to them, they will say, you know, if an animal of any kind really needs the care, they'll They'll make it happen. They'll leave in the middle of the night. They'll drive hours. They'll make sure that that every animal is cared for. 
I think at this stage, you know, if things worsen, there there may start to become an, a risk to the animal population. But what I gather is right now, the animals are not at risk. It's really the folks who are, who are working to care for the animals that are just totally exhausted, burnt out. And yeah, of course, if if we see appointment times becoming further and further away, that's going to likely start to impact the pets too. What does Dr. Pache do to stay on? You mentioned his colleagues are retiring. He's the only person left. How does he keep going? Well, this is actually kind of uh, brilliant of, of him. He's got a staff of 12 folks at his animal hospital there. And three of them, or at least two of them, are are his relatives. He's got his son and his daughter both working for him. And his granddaughter is training to be a vet tech. And so for him, he has really found these people who can keep him keep him going. And and it's interesting, he compared a vet tech to like a nurse practitioner, someone who can really do so, so much animal care and, and take a huge load of pressure off the veterinarian. He does also have a, a couple of veterinarians working alongside him there. Um, he's not now the only one, though he is the only animal hospital. And so he said he's he's 64 in December. And he said that, you know, at this stage, he just really wanted to be winding down. He wanted to be moving towards retirement. And instead, he's working more hours than ever. So <laughs> to keep going, he's really just working hard and and keeping, you know, those in his family working in veterinary medicine to kind of keep his staff going. And it sounds like they're they're making it work, but it's a it's, it's a lot. It is honestly wild that we've been reporting. And I know obviously when it deals with humans, it's it's more important, but the vets are humans. And it's wild that the exact same crisis is unfolding in veterinary medicine that it is as it is in family medicine. And uh, nobody realizes it. No, nobody realizes it. And I just think that it's something that needs to be discussed because the really, really, really poor mental health outcomes and vets who are, you know, thinking about having lost their colleagues to suicide. And there's just this real, oof, there's a really heavy feeling among veterinarians who just want to be doing the very best work possible and are really pushed to the brink. So I'm so lucky to have so many excellent veterinarians speak to me about their experiences. Well, we are lucky to have you speak to us, Lindsay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lindsay Armstrong of the Canadian Press. That was The Big Story. For more, you know by now. TheBigStoryPodcast.ca has every episode you could possibly want to listen to, and a few you probably don't. You should click on them anyway. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon is a producer on the show. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our manager of business development. Ryan Clark was on our sound design this week. And we'd all love to hear from you if you have anything to share. Hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca is the email. 416-935-5935 is the phone number if you want to leave a voicemail. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk Monday.